0: Hey again, everybody, and welcome to Locked On Bama with Luke Robinson. That's me and Jimmy Stein. That's him. Jimmy, how are you today? Yeah. How are you doing, buddy?
1: Good, good. Six and oh, and six to go.
0: Six. Well, I mean, if you want to be a little bit more optimistic, six down and nine to go, right? I mean,
1: (laughs) that's right. Being super optimistic, correct? But uh, why why are you such a pessimistic jackass? (laughs) <laughs> because of our defense? No, we'll get to that later. But uh, I, I I actually feel pretty good about where, where the season as a whole is going, even though I'm still uncomfortable giving up that sort of points, those sort of yards, still uncomfortable about it. Uh, I actually think there was some, some things to be excited about defensively based on how we play because some individuals, I think, stepped up and and, and, and showed that they were – better players than they have been showing. And, uh, that's, uh, that's a good news as we move forward.
0: Oh, there's no doubt about it. And one of those individuals, obviously, was Jalen Waddell. Uh, I think on this show, we predicted Jalen Waddle would have a big game. And he had uh, his, I guess, his first touchdown of the year, right? Um, yeah. Was, and on on a beautiful swing pass. Uh, and really, it was all him. I mean, had the, this pass was fine. But it was really all him just maneuvering his way through the Texas A&M defense. And then his punt returns were incredible. Um, just awesome and frankly I had this thought during the game while we were hitting another upright which we can talk about later but is are kickers stopping our return men the new Alabama kickers hitting the goal post or the new Damian Harris getting caught at the one yard line because I, I mean how many kickers have stopped waddle or Ruggs this year from scoring a touchdown is the the kicker stopped waddle twice on returns in uh at the old miss game i think he stopped waddle twice in this last game and the kicker also stopped Ruggs from scoring a touchdown on a kick return
1: what's so just bizarre it's bizarre period but then factor in that waddle has like one of the great shake and bait games around i mean waddle can juke Cornerbacks, and he does that routinely. The fact he can't shake a punter is, uh, is is really almost more comical than bad. I mean, like, come on, because I mean, if you can miss, if you can make you know the best cornerbacks in the world miss, how in the world can you not make a punter miss? But that's why it's funny. But Waddle was fantastic in the return game. Rugs has been great. Frankly, punt returns, kick returns punt coverage kick coverage have all been really good for alabama all season long it's funny you know on special teams you know when you say alabama and special teams everyone's first thought is oh gosh we can't kick or punt true and true to to an extent but the other elements of special teams uh returning punts returning kicks covering both we're outstanding so it's hard to say the special teams are bad it's just you know it's just the usual kicker punter thing although let's Let's give Bulovas some credit here. I'll, I realize he had a doink, and the doink was good. Uh, Bulovas' numbers are pretty good uh, in ter- so far this year. I mean, so we're really we're really not as bad as we say. But that said, it is strange that after thirteen years of Nick Saban, we can be so singularly great at every position except one, and we know what that is.
0: So, Jimmy, I think the ironic thing is that we have so much trouble with kickers and probably have for most of the Saban era. I don't know exactly when it started. I'm probably around, you know, 2000. After Lee Tiffin. Yeah, I guess Lee Tiffin. Yeah, after Lee Tiffin. But um, so we have so much trouble with our own kickers, yet kickers on the other team are stopping our best return man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Isn't that bizarre? That is bizarre. That is bizarre. And I guess the good news about having a punter that can't punt it from his punting position all the way to the other team's linebacker unit, uh, we are preventing long returns by basically punting the ball about 12 yards.
0: Let me ask this. Is Jalen Waddell, who, by the way, is leading the country in punt return yardage, is he the best punt returner ever who hasn't returned a punt for a touchdown?
1: It is crazy that, as great of a returner as he's been, there have been very few touchdowns for two seasons. Really, I think there's only been one collectively in two seasons. Now I know he's had one or two called back, but uh, he's uh, he's only had one in a couple of seasons. And I would rank him very high among the best return guys I've ever seen at Alabama. And uh, and for him only have one touchdown, it kind of leads me to believe I, I, I'm a believer in things evening out. I won't be surprised if. At some point in his career this year, or next, Jalen does something like uh, score a touchdown on punt returns four or five games in a row. Because no, I agree. Some, some, somehow it's got to even out, you know. And and the touchdowns may come in bunches. That that's what that's what makes sense to me in terms of what I think will happen because he, he is he is absolutely fantastic. And I, I mean, it's crazy he didn't have touchdowns because you would have to really sell me on trading him for any punt returner in college football.
0: Oh, there's no doubt. I I would not do it. I just wouldn't do it. And in fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that, um, say that he gets one this week against Tennessee. I, I just, you, you can see it coming. It's right there, um, and it's it's going to happen, and I think he'll do it this weekend. You know, we're going to be playing a Tennessee team that's probably going to be punting a lot, no telling if their quarterback will – their, their right. first, true freshman quarterback, who is the better quarterback, will be playing or not yet. Um, and by the way, everybody, we're going to have a representative from Locked On Vols to do a crossover episode with Locked On Bama, and that's something I've noticed some other places doing, and we're going to try and do it. Every week that we can if there's a locked on network, and I know Jimmy, we were also efforting you had a, a potential guest for later on. We also yeah. you know hopefully we'll get our buddy Aaron Suttles on it sometime. There, there's a lot of guests yeah. we have coming up, but that's something we can we can certainly talk about later. How about uh Terrell Lewis finally getting his uh, getting his groove back? He you know every game it seems like he would have one play. That would make you go, "Wow, that's what we want all the time." And then he just sort of disappeared. Right. This game, he seemed to be pretty much locked in. And I have another question for you to answer about Terrell Lewis: Is he more intimidating because he doesn't wear like gloves, or he doesn't wear the, uh, the like the that, that special tape that's sort of like a second skin for everybody? Now, I mean, you know, yeah. you can say that people are more intimidating when they're dressed like the Terminator or even Terrell Lewis had that special arm brace or elbow brace last year. But now, man, when he goes out there and is just hit him in the raw,
1: essentially, yeah. he looks scary as hell. It's like a power hitter in Major League Baseball that comes up there wearing no batting gloves. And it's rare to see that But because it's so rare you notice it. And, like, if some home run hitter comes up and he's not wearing batting gloves, he's just holding that – that piece of wood in his bare hands, you're like, holy crap, this dude is a beast. <laughs> and yeah. it's kind of like how you look at a Terrell. No, I'll tell you what uh, sticks out to me was one play. Uh, one of the best things on Sunday Twitter uh, for all our, our listeners who are uh, who are active on Twitter, Brett Hudson, the uh, beat writer for tidesports.com, Tuscaloosa News, he does a really good X's and O's breakdown. On Sundays, he put out several tweets of a play and comment on a play. And in one play, he, he put it was I thought Terrell's best play of the game. Terrell showed NFL level change of direction and getting to the quarterback and putting Kellamon on the ground. Uh, and, and as we know, Mon's a pretty fast guy, and Terrell walked him down uh, on that play alone. I think I think what we saw was a, a healthy Torrell. That's what we hadn't seen. I, I, I think he's yeah. been not healthy all year. And not, not to the point that he couldn't play, although he didn't play a game or two, but I, I think now we're seeing a healthy Terrell Lewis and all the knocks on him. And, hey, we're guilty of that ourselves because we're like, where the hell is Terrell? Because it's frustrating for us when they're playing. It's hard for us to accept the fact that they're playing hurt and how that's going to affect their productivity. But I just think that one that one snap that was really highlighted well by, by Brett on TideSports.com, I, I think that was just like, Well, now we see what a healthy Terrell Lewis looks like, and if he stays healthy the rest of the year, these league quarterbacks are in trouble, and I think particularly the next two weeks when we are playing what has to date been two very bad football teams.
0: Yeah, and it's no coincidence that we have our season high in sacks with five when Terrell Lewis is playing probably his best game of the year. Meanwhile, Christian Barmore also had, I thought, his best game of the year, and has anybody ever been more fired up after a sack? than he was when he got his sack in that second quarter. And he He's he engulfed. I mean, literally, I I heard so I saw somebody tweet something about it. And so I said, I'm gonna go back and watch that again really quickly early this morning. And I checked it out. I mean, he spread his arms like some kind of phoenix rising from the ashes and then just engulfed Kellen mind. Um it was it was a thing of beauty. And if he gets if he turns that light on, my goodness.
1: Yeah, I think Christian Barmore's development is one of the more exciting things that's going on with our defense. And what I'm hopeful is that we see more and more and more of him and he develops into a real force. And maybe we won't rely so much on the true freshman uh, because Christian's a year older and a year stronger being with Scott Cochran's program. But here's one small rant because a lot of people on Twitter were sort of frankly, there's no other way to put a ripping on Saban for, for, for not playing Barmore more often in this game and in the previous games. And it, it reminds me so much of, of maybe basketball fans that maybe Alabama's got or or whoever, whatever team you support, maybe you got a scorer and and he's fun because he's a scorer. So he comes off the bench and he knocks down threes and maybe has a highlight dunk. And you're like, why the hell doesn't this guy play 40 minutes? He's the best player on the team. That's because fans don't pay as much attention to what's happened on the, on the other end of the floor. And I don't care I don't care if you have a 20-point scorer. When your 20-point scorer is personally responsible for giving up 26, then he shouldn't be out there at all. It doesn't matter that he scored his 20 points. You're net minus six. So Barmore has been explosive. He has been exciting to watch. But if he's blowing assignments and not doing what he's coached to do, if, if you make a sack and then on the very next play the offense gets 32 yards because you weren't in the right place at the right time, then that sack doesn't matter. The sack's erased. The sack's gone. And, and that's what I think fans need to be more patient with is Nick himself has addressed this publicly about how Barmore doesn't always follow his assignment, and it's probably due to inexperience and immaturity. He is still a redshirt freshman that hasn't played a lot, but people have to be a little more patient about that. I know he's explosive. I know he's going to be great, but when when a player doesn't follow his assignment, you're talking about giving up chunks of yardage and touchdowns. So we cannot do that or cannot afford that, even if every now and then he flashes and makes a good play. So everybody just has to be a little patient and be hopeful that this kid is really turning into something.
0: Something I thought about watching the replay, too, was slants, okay? And we're throwing a lot of slants, and they're all – excuse me, they're all very difficult to stop. I mean, almost impossible if, if executed correctly, but what I thought about with Devonte Smith's slant touchdown, the the second touchdown of the day was I had a flashback to 2005 when um, Brody Croyle hit Keith Brown on a slant. Uh, I believe that was in the second quarter of that game against Florida and it was yeah. just executed to perfection. It was so beautiful. I I'm I'm literally getting chills thinking about it right now, thinking about how awesome it was. And like that play has always stuck out in my mind. Yet we do that every quarter now. <laughs> I and mean, it's funny how like that play, Brody Crow to Keith Brown, seems so special, yet it has become so commonplace for us now. That it's hard to even remember. Oh yeah, who caught that slant? Oh yeah, it was somebody for a touchdown. Ew. Was it Waddle? Was it even could Mechie have even done that? I don't know. Um, it's it's bizarre how um numb we are to how successful Alabama has become. On the
1: on the offensive side of the ball in particular, it's crazy that overnight it would change to the extent that it's changed. I mean, we're gonna be talking about it constantly over the next three weeks and the build up to uh, 2019's game of the century versus LSU, but how crazy has times changed in a quick period of time that just eight seasons ago, Alabama would play LSU in a game of the century, and it was six to six at the end of regulation. Fast forward eight years, the same two teams, same setup, game of the century, number two, it's very likely to be 46 to 46 going into overtime that night. That's how much it's changed in eight years, both, both, that's how much college football has changed. It's how much Nick Saban changed. It, it took a while longer for LSU to change, and now they're on the the, the spread tempo train. And, uh, you know, funny how also it's not a coincidence. As much as we say Alabama and LSU have changed, let's be honest. What what changed Alabama is Tua Tungo-Valoa, and what changed LSU is Joe Burrow. I mean, you got quarterbacks that are hot first-round quarterbacks who are highly capable of running. And these offenses to near perfection. And that's why you have what you have. It's not just a commitment to a certain type of offense. Because if Alabama ran this offense with some of the quarterbacks that we put on the field in the 90s and the 2000s, we wouldn't be scoring all oh. these points. We'd be throwing that's... seven interceptions.
0: Uh, what, what, the, what would happen is we'd have – our transfer portal for wide receivers would be locked and loaded. I mean, it would be a – you would have to go to the bus stop to get on the transfer portal. Um, You know, and you were bringing up that LSU-Alabama game coming up in a couple of weeks, and I'll tell you something. I think we could just save time, and instead of starting that game at zero zero, just say, okay, both teams already have 21 points, and let's just go ahead and save time. It's 21-21 <laughs> just to start the game. Um Speaking of LSU, and this is apropos of nothing, but uh, I wrote an article for our local fish rapper tomorrow, and you know what? I came to the conclusion. This probably should be saved for another broadcast but um, or podcast or broadcast, whatever the hell. Um, But I wrote an essential love letter to Ed Orgeron because it dawned on me this weekend that Ed Orgeron is college football. He, he loves, he would coach LSU if they just said, okay, you get two gumbo meals a day and that's it. You get nothing else. No contract, no buyout. Your buyout is another cup of gumbo in a go cup. That's what it is. And he would do that. And when he was talking, I mean, he, he literally said on air something along the lines of, and I can't do a great Orgeron impression, but it was something like, Welcome to Dead Valley, where dreams come to die, and and I was thinking, <laughs> I that makes total sense to me. This this in a world where and I God bless Nick Saban. I wouldn't trade Nick Saban for anything, um, but he is all business, and we've learned to love that, and and we do love it because success comes with it. But you know, there's something to be said about how much Ed Orgeron loves Louisiana, loves LSU, love. And just adores this game. You know, Gus Malzahn, I mean, he's he was sort of he was leveraging for the Arkansas job last year to get more money out or a couple of years ago to get more money out of Auburn. And it worked. Um, that tells me, you know, he may like Auburn a lot. Sabin likes Alabama. They both may love it to some degree. They don't they don't have an obsession with it like Ed Orgeron does. Yeah. Now, those I think both of those guys are probably better coaches overall than Orgeron, but you know what? He's come around. And yeah. There's something to be said while the rest of the game is becoming so NFLized that Orgeron seems he's the personality we need in college football. And, and I, I, all of a sudden, after making fun of him below these many years, I appreciate the dude. And I'm beginning to think he's misunderstood both literally and figuratively.
1: <laughs> no, I love that take and uh, agree with every word of it. and, you know, I think at Alabama we've experienced ourselves something that, that LSU's experiencing with Orgeron. I, I couldn't have been more wrong about the hire of Edo as an Alabama fan. I was thrilled that they hired him. I saw the start he got off to. I'm chuckling over what a horrible hire they made and, and how this is going to benefit Alabama for years. And then he turns it around, and I'm just wrong with Egg on my face uh, because he, he really has done not only a fantastic job building this team. Uh, I think LSU is going to be good for a while because he's recruited to a system and, and er, recruited really well. And, and this is what I mean by we've experienced this at Alabama. Uh, believe it or not, I would say it, it's under Gene Stallings. Uh, and and I'll, I'll choose my words carefully because Stallings is a, is a god to me. I love love Gene Stallings, always will. I would propose, though, that Gene Stallings was a perfect fit for Alabama. At the time we hired Gene Stallings in 1990, he was exactly what Alabama needed, and he showed up and did Alabama things and became, you know, I'm not going to compare him to Coach Bryant, but the similarities, coaching for Coach Bryant, sounding like Coach Bryant, having a lot of the same football philosophies as Coach Bryant, I, Gene Stallings was such a good fit at Alabama, won a national championship, and and, and I hope our younger fans Don't know, but, you know, he averaged 10 wins a year for seven years back at a time where he didn't play as many games. That was an accomplishment back then. Alabama became – it was the winningest four-year period in Alabama history until Nick Saban showed up and we started playing 15 games a year. So I hope people don't forget that Stallings accomplished other things and not just the 92 National Championship. But my point is, and this is where I, I, I don't mean to insult Coach Stallings when I say this. I'm just trying to make my overall point about Stallings and Orgeron. I would tell you that you can name another good program, Texas, Nebraska, Ohio state. Had they hired Gene Stallings in 1990? I'd tell you right now that I doubt he would win or certainly wouldn't win to the extent that he won at Alabama. I think Gene Stallings was just the perfect fit for one place. And, and, and it was a match made in heaven for, for seven seasons, uh, I think Orgeron's the same thing. Had any other program hired at Orgeron, it probably doesn't work. But it's working like hell in Baton Rouge for all the reasons you just stated, Luke. It's a great fit. He's the right guy at the right time. Alabama experienced tremendous success. When we had the same thing for a brief time under Stallings, now obviously Saban's a good fit at Alabama too, but that's a different thing altogether. Saban would be winning at any other program because he's a great fit anywhere that has – the willingness to spend the money it takes to, to build the best program in college football. Uh, Stallings, I don't think would have won anywhere else. Orgeron wouldn't be winning anywhere else, but they won huge where they're at because it's all about fit.
0: No, I totally agree. And um, he's just, he just, he's the embodiment of Louisiana. And I think it's perfect where again, you know, we, we live in an age of, of, everybody's got a hired gun and, I appreciate our hired gun, but I mean, even Texas. I mean, we. You can talk about Tom Herman. Tom Herman. I don't. His roots aren't in Texas, are they? I mean, aren't they in Ohio? I mean, he he was Ohio State's offensive know. coordinator, right? I think
1: it might. I think it might be Texas, but I don't think it's the University oh, really? of Texas. I, but I don't. I don't <clears throat> know. What I do know is he was the hot commodity at the time, and frankly, I mean, I think he's improved the product. He's improved it. But Texas proved this weekend, they've already lost twice now. Now it was to good teams. They lost to two national championship contenders. But yeah. Texas showed once again that they're not ready for primetime, and they hired Tom Herman to get Texas into the elite echelon. And I would say they're still a Tier 2 type football no, program.
0: Totally agree. One other thing, Jimmy, before we go today, um, and we'll talk more about the A&M game on the next podcast for Tuesday, but. You want to talk about a bizarre statistic, just the way things are unfolding this year with, with Joe Burrow versus Tua Tungavailoa. Um, That's kind of what it bo- is boiling down to at this point, barring – I mean, look, Jalen Hurts is certainly going to be right there, but it feels like the momentum is is waning with him a little bit. Um, Justin Fields could probably be right there and Jonathan Taylor too. But in the end, the Heisman matchup between Burrow and Tungvaluwa is going to be the thing, assuming – Neither team loses between now and then, but it, I, I have not heard anybody else say this, and I just came upon this stat by happenstance. Joe Burrow and Tua both threw for exactly 293 yards this past weekend.
1: Is that is that weird? <laughs> it's 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 weird and appropriate. It's yeah, appropriately I mean, weird, and it, it's, a, it's a statement of the offenses both teams are running. Hey, let me tell you, I, I talked about it all summer and got. This literally just to show you how, and hey, I'm wrong about stuff too. I don't make fun of other people who are wrong because I'm wrong too. But I remember as I, I spent a lot of the summer tweeting about the upcoming season because I spent a lot of the summer reading college football magazines and websites sitting on the beach all summer, I, I tweeted this several times that, hey, don't sleep on this LSU core receivers. I, I loved them. Terrace Marshall, Jefferson, uh, Jamar Chase. I said, those three might be as good as anybody other than Alabama's got. And I tweeted Mm -hmm. that several times. And then I wasn't necessarily mocked for being high on LSU, but I would get a ton of, well, yeah, maybe they're good. We'll never know because they don't have a quarterback. Well, yeah, they do. And (laughs) they do have a quarterback. And we're seeing just how good those guys are. And Mm -hmm. for as good as Burrow is and for as good as Tua is, uh, there's no doubt they benefit greatly from a fantastic core of wide receivers, but LSU's got them just like Bama's got them.
0: They got them in spades, man. Um, well, we're that's gonna do it for this podcast. Jimmy, really quickly, uh Alabama, Arkansas just announced 6 p.m. kickoff, Auburn and LSU is the CBS game that day. So if you go to Tuscaloosa tailgate. And hopefully I look, I'm going to be pulling for LSU. I know you go the other way with this. I'm pulling for LSU. Number one, just to be anti Auburn, but number two, because I do want to have another game of the century. And I think that's going to be the bomb. So I'm kind of hoping LSU wins it Um and Alabama and LSU both go in undefeated. Cause that will be bananas.
1: I say it's just kind of win, win uh that day. I think it's just win, win. If Auburn wins, then that gives Alabama a real boost in the SEC West standings. If uh if LSU wins, it sets up a game of the century sequel that first uh Saturday in November. Uh or I should say the second Saturday in November in Tuscaloosa. And I, I think it's just win-win for Alabama. Hey, it, it's gonna be half a good day. It's a good day, it's a good day when Auburn or LSU loses. So yeah, that's true. Good day, Good day, Pierre, but what a fantastic lead up to At your tailgate spot in Tuscaloosa or on your living room couch uh, to watch LSU Auburn leading up to the Alabama kickoff at six o'clock against the Hogs. And uh, we'll talk more about it later. But what I'm hoping, as silly as this is, I guess it means nothing except to us idiot fans. But I'm hoping Alabama uses the next two games to pad some stats and yes. look a little better in the national rankings as it, as it relates to several things, especially defensively. And if I'm Pete Golding this week or, or, or Charles Kelly or on that defensive staff, one of the things I'm getting in my guy's face about this week that I want to be real serious about is let's go pitch a shutout. Let's shut them out. Let's yes. shut them out. Let's shut uh, that Tennessee has been incredibly average on offense. They can't no, run It's well.
0: the, pronounced inept. <laughs>
1: They can't run it. They can't throw it. They're primed to be shut out in a tough environment in Tuscaloosa. And I'm not saying, oh, I hate Tennessee. Let's beat them 63 nothing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying our defense has to get better, and they have to build confidence, and, and nothing does that like a shutout. All
0: right, buddy, we will talk again this afternoon, and that podcast will go out Tuesday morning. Uh, we don't need to confuse everybody with that, so I'll just say roll tide. Roll tide.